I want you to go with me this morning to the book of John. I'm so excited for the day and for the weekend and are for this what this holiday is coming. I want to speak to you this morning. We're going to talk about freedom. Matter of fact, let's talk about freedom today. Let's understand what freedom really is all about. I'm beginning to question in our culture and our generation, may I say it like this, of our time, do we really understand what freedom really is? This flag that I... It's more than red, white, and blue. It's more than just the idea that men fought and died. But it declares a life that we as a nation committed ourselves to. If you don't know what those colors are and what everything means, those red and white stripes represent the original 13 colonies. The 50 stars that are there represent the 50 states now that made up the union. The red and the white and the blue stands for this. The red speaks of hardness or hardiness, which means it has the ability to endure under every difficult situation. It means valor. The white stands for purity and it stands for innocence. The blue stands for, it stands perverse, perverse perseverance and it stands for justice. This is more than decoration. It's more than the colors on your shirt that make you look good. But this declares to the nations of the world and every principality and power that would, that would war against us that we are a people united together under the mighty hand of Almighty God to live the life that God intended for us to live. See, if we don't understand what freedom is, especially in our day, and I wonder if many of us know what freedom is. So let's talk about it. If we talk freedom in our day as it is right now, I'll take you to a young man in England that just a couple of years ago decided he was going to express himself. I have a right to be me and to be free and to express myself in any way I want. So he decided he was no longer really a human being, but he was an alien. And so he had his body completely tattooed, had his ears cut off, had his, had his tongue split, had his lips altered, his nose cut off his face, his eyes dyed, solid black, his hair's all removed, he's put horns in the top of his head, and he walks around the street, we got a problem. He's free, but he's got a problem. He's not, because he cannot figure out why he cannot get a job. And he cannot figure out why he can't go to a restaurant and sit down and have a meal because they will not allow him to come in. In his mind, he's free. But the reality is he's more in bondage now and more captivity than he could ever imagine that he could ever be in. 
That's just one incident there among many that would be around our world. Let's talk about let's talk about a culture that 2000 years ago or not 2000 years ago, I'm sorry. My mind's way up here and I got several things going. But let's talk about the freedom from slavery. Black men were set free. Our country acknowledged it. Declarations were made. And yet we're still walking around free, but I'm in bondage. Because we're pointing our finger at people and different things saying, you're the reason that I can't be who I'm supposed to be. And it's the color of my skin or it's this or that. And yet at the same free at the same time slavery was abolished a long time ago but yet I'm free and I'm still more of a slave today than I've ever been. And yet I don't have a taskmaster over me and I don't have a whip coming across my back. But yet if I'm not careful and I don't understand freedom, I'm still holding myself in a cage. Let's talk about the mama that decides, y'all are real quiet today, but I guess this is okay. Let's talk about the mother that says, this is my body. I have a right with my body. If I want to abort this baby, then I will. And so that mama goes to an abortion clinic and has a doctor surgically removed, torturing that, that little child as he removes it from her body. And she can walk out of that place feeling like I'm done, I'm free, I don't have to carry that. But the reality is there are countless numbers of women all over the nation that are living in the torment and they're living in the, they're living in the the shame and the guilt of the past. They may not talk about it. They may not act like it, but the reality is they think about that every day and at the same time they say they're free. May I tell you, we've got a wrong perception of what freedom is. Let's talk about the addicts of our land that said, you know, it's my body. I'll put into it what I want. If I want to get high, I want to do this, I want to do that, whether it be through drugs, alcohol, or whatever. But let's go and watch, see in our prisons how many of them are filled right now with young men and women that made a decision. I'm going to be free. I'm going to live free any way I want, no matter what the cost, to only find themselves in a in an eight-by-eight eight cage or whatever it would be. We could say it like that. They may be able to get out, go into among a room. They may be behind walls. They may feel like they're free, but the reality is they will never ever get away from that prison and the reality is that they've got a family that's been destroyed and their parents and their children their wives their husbands will no longer in a sense be able to enjoy them because the whole idea they wanted to be was free see we could take this even as believers I'm a child of God. I can live any way I want, do whatever I can, and God's grace and God's goodness is there. 
Well, somewhere in the scripture I read that God said, I will not always strive with man. And that God said his grace was there. Yes, and I believe in that grace. But the Bible also talks to us and tells us it's a fearful thing if we tread or we trample over the grace of the Lord, the blood of what Jesus shed for us. We are treading on very serious and very dangerous ground. One more. I, I wasn't planning on all these, but it just kind of opens good. Our world says, I don't feel like a man. I don't feel like a woman. I think, I, I think, you know, I was put in the wrong body. I was put in the wrong form. I think I ought to let my children make their own decisions. I want to be free, so I'm going to dress like a man or I'm going to dress like a woman or I'm going to go be altered. I'm going to let my children make that decision in their life. I, I'm free to be who I am. I've got a question for you this morning. If that's what freedom is really about, then why are you worrying about what I think about you and why are you demanding those that don't agree with you to embrace the life of your freedom? You're not free. You're not free. We have a perverted idea in our culture, in our generation, about what freedom is because freedom has never been about somebody just doing whatever they felt when they wanted to do it, however they wanted to do it. Our nation wasn't even established upon that. So I want you to look at this passage with me. In the book of John, chapter 8, I'm going to tell a story, but I'm going to start out reading it. Then I want to tell it for the sake of time. It says in verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say about this? Now I want to tell the rest of the story from there. The first thing that I want you to catch up on is that Jesus is at the place. He come to the place of the Mount of Olives. It's very significant why this story is told there. The Mount of Olives would be on the east of Jerusalem at the border of it. And it's the place where Jesus would enter into the Garden of Gethsemane where he would cry and he would weep and he would beg for the cup of God to be passed from him. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy, thy will be done. It was in that place that Jesus made that decision. I'll give my life for the sins of the world. I'll give my life. For the sins of all mankind. It would be that place that he would hang upon a cross. On the place called the skull at Golgotha. And he would give his life for all of us. It was a place of hope. It was the place that Jesus made his final entry into Jerusalem. So here he's at the place called the Mount of Olives. He's sitting among the people in 
the temple and he's teaching them and here comes these religious leaders, here comes all these people bringing this woman that's caught in the act of adultery. They said, teacher, and they're doing this for a purpose, the law and Moses commanded that she be put to death. Now, the first place I thought, okay, if you understood the law, and if you knew that the law of Moses commanded you to put her to death, then why is she here? But he had, she couldn't, they couldn't just take her out and stone her. She still had a right to stand before a body, and they would pass sentence upon her out of the law. So they brought her before there to get that final say before she would be stoned. But they're really trying Jesus. They said, I want to know what you say about this issue. And Jesus just stooped down on the ground and the scripture says that he began to write on the ground. And he says something like this before he stooped down. Uh, and he said, woman, he said, he said as he stepped down, he who is without sin among you, let them throw a stone at her first. And the scripture said again, he stooped down and he rode on the ground. And those that heard it began to be convicted in their heart one by one, beginning from the oldest to the last. And, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Think about this for a moment. Why a woman of all places or all people in that culture, women were second, second guess, I guess we could say. If you would be counted in that day, you would be counted as a man, not as a woman. They were, in a sense, a second-rate kind of citizen, if we could look like at that, how most people would feel. But they brought her. They have caught her. It's kind of interesting. Okay, guys, you evidently, some of you knew, must have known where she was, or you've been with her before, or you wouldn't have known that she was in the very act of this when you found her. So she evidently had been known among many of those men. And Jesus said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And of course, you know, the Bible said from the least to the, or from the greatest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones and leave and go one by one. And Jesus asked this woman this question, where are those that accuse you? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? In other words, he's looking at them now. There's nobody here. There's no evidence. There's no strength for anything to take place in her life but for her to live. Jesus said, where did they go? And Jesus said to her, or she says to Jesus, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Boy, that's an incredible story of of redemption and freedom. It's a picture of freedom. You're free from your accuser. You're free from the pain. You're free from the condemnation. But he didn't stop there. Notice something of what he said to her. I don't condemn you. You're free. Go and sin no more. In other words, he was saying to her, you're free not to go back to the same lifestyle. 
Because if you go back to that lifestyle, you're going to be before the, the council again. And this time I may not be around and they will stone you. And Jesus then speaks these words to them. Because there's people all around. It wasn't just him and her. There were others there, the ones that he was teaching. And Jesus said in verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of, everybody say it with me, the light of life. So freedom isn't the right for me to do whatever I want. Freedom is the right of me to live the life that God created and ordained for me to live out. Freedom is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle with many privileges and many liberties in it. But it's the way that we live. I just going to do... You know, I was thinking as I found a little book and I was reading through our Constitution. And we'll read through the amendments. I'm not going to go through all of those. I'll maybe do that some other day. <coughs> I just want you to know, and y'all know this, I am not a William Federer. I am really not a good historian. But I was looking at some of the things that our framers and our forefathers signed and documented for us. One of them was the right in this life to have free speech. To be able to declare, right? But that doesn't mean that I can say whatever I want, whatever I feel, or whatever I see necessary that I think I ought to say. Because some things don't need to be said. And some things bring more harm than difficulty. But I do have a right to speak up about the life and what our framers had declared of how we were to live and what they believed that the creator, the sovereign of all creation had set in order for us to live. I do have a right to declare my God. I do have a right to declare my worship. But not everything is expedient for me to say when I feel like it, even though I have a right. It's kind of funny, weird. I don't know why he said it. When we first came to Cape Girardeau 25 years ago, you know, we were from another state that we felt were a whole lot more friendly. I'm very serious. It was very difficult for a while to come here. Nobody smiled. Nobody waved. We were just used to, hey, how you doing? People just looked at you, go to the go to checkout counter at Walmart, and they wouldn't even tell you. They wouldn't even look at you. They wouldn't even tell you what you owe. Just turn, hey, this is what you owe, and walk away. Even the church people were like that. I had one brother say something. I never will forget it. I don't know why it came back to my mind, but he said something to me uh, like this. He said, I'm not afraid to tell you what I think. I'll tell you if your underwear stinks. I'm thinking, I don't need to know that. <laughs> but you see, he thought he was free. He thought it was something that he felt that he had the right. See, that benefited nobody. It lifted nothing. 
So we have to understand that real freedom is a life that we have been called to live that will depict righteousness and purity and holiness and and peace and tranquility for all people. This freedom isn't just about me. It's about a people. It's about a society. It's about a nation. No matter what color the skin you have this morning or what nationality you're from. My friends that are down here, one's from India, one from Mexico. Man, they're a messed up bunch. But yet they're American. Hello? But it's for all of us and all of us to live that way. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. He's talking about a lifestyle we will live. Then they go on and they begin to challenge that you're taking on a whole lot saying all these things. Where are you getting your witness from that you can say such things? Verse 14, I'm just going to touch a couple things. Jesus answered and said, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. And he gives the answer why right here. Because he said, You judge according to your flesh, and I judge no one. Now, wait a minute, we're all seeking justice, right? That's been a scream and a holler of the streets. We want justice. We want righteousness. We want our right. Well, God said if we would live according to his life, we wouldn't even be saying that. Because we would be treating each other with such, with such honor and such respect. But he tells us why. You're judging everything by your flesh. And the Bible says that in this flesh is no good thing. So then he goes on, skip a bunch. He goes on to verse 31. And Jesus said to the Jews who began to follow him, If you abide in me and you are, you, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Listen to what he says. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Wait a minute. There's not freedom without something before it. Matter of fact, I wrote something down. I had to scribble notes everywhere. Listen to this. I believe this is a definition. Freedom doesn't come without a purpose set before it, lest it become freedom that is perverted judgment. Freedom doesn't come without a purpose set before it. Not after it, but before it. Jesus didn't die and didn't decide what he's going to do with us. It was already foreplanned before he came so that you and I could live his life. Are you okay? So Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The word make there simply means this. It will make you or it will position you as as a citizen. And what is a citizen? He is a person of a domain. He is a person in a place of rule. He said, I will set you as a citizen in truth. 
And then he reads on a little bit further and he said, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If you look up the word free in the dictionary, it means this. Under the control or the power of another. If you look up the word freedom in the dictionary, it would say this. The power or right to act, speak, or to think as one wants. Okay, let's compare freedom to the Bible. So we have to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, we're not being challenged today in our country about our rights. We're being challenged on truth. On the God that we serve and what we believe. It's not about the age. It's not about the, the, the culture. It's not about the color of a man's skin. But it's about the God that he serves. So in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know the story? And then the Bible said that he created man in his image and after his likeness. They'll put it up on the screen. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. After God made him from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils. This is what the Bible said. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now of all the globe, we know at this point there's only two parts. I'm going to say it like that. There's the garden of Eden and everything else was wilderness. Because that's what it's talked about in these couple of chapters. The Garden of Eden and everything else was wilderness. The word wilderness there means it was unfruitful. Now if it was the will of God to say, Adam, I'm going to let you live any way you want. Why didn't he take him and put him in the wilderness? But he didn't. He created this very lush, lavish garden. He called it Eden, and it simply means the region of Adam or Adam's home. Another definition of the word Eden means this. It means pleasant. It means to live, uh, I, I can't hardly pronounce this word, voluptuously. It means pleasure. Now I want to go back to the word I have a hard time pronouncing voluptuously, say it with me, voluptuously. That's how God identified Eden. When you think of being voluptuous, most of us in this room of age would think it's a sexual term that many times identifies a very, let me say it like this, a very shapely woman. That is to be desired. Go get the definition. Look at it. So this is what God did. He made this very desirable place, took this man, created in his image and likeness, and he gave them this beautiful woman, and he set him down right in the middle of this place. And he said, this is the life that I have given you to live. And he said, Adam, you can have this, and you can have all the world. The only thing I asked of you is you can have everything except one tree. So wait a minute, he's free to have the world, 
He's given the most wonderful place that we could ever imagine. Heaven came to earth. That has always been God's intent is for heaven to fill the earth instead of all of us trying to get out of the earth to heaven. So he puts him in this wonderful place. He said, you can have it all, except you can't touch the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Now, freedom does not mean there's no restraint. Matter of fact, freedom doesn't mean there's no government. Because the reality is God set government from the very beginning. He's the judge, the supreme one. Adam, I blessed you to rule. I blessed you to reign. I blessed you to have dominion over all the earth. Adam, you will do well if you don't touch that tree. See, God never talked about freedom. I want you to think about this. God doesn't talk about freedom like you and I. God talks different. He talks blessing and curse, and he talks life and death. But you and I talk freedom. And if we understood what real freedom is from the Bible... It's not, again, me doing whatever I want. It's about, am I going to live blessed or am I going to live on the curse? Am I going to live or am I going to die? Adam knew that very well. I don't know how he knew it. I don't know if he was in such oneness with God. I believe it's probably how he knew it, that he had the very thoughts and the very mind of God, him and Eve before the fall, that Adam just knew. If I touch and eat of that tree, I'm going to die. That's when the serpent came and said, hey, have you considered that? See, freedom has always got an enemy. And it's an enemy to pull you out of the freedom that God has really intended for you to walk in. By the way, let me just say this right here. God values freedom so much. This is the greatest freedom you'll ever have. What I'm going to tell you, it's the greatest freedom you'll ever have is that you have the choice to say yes or no. It's the greatest freedom that you'll ever have, the freedom of your own free will. God gave it to Adam. Matter of fact, I learned something. He gave that to some of the angels. Think about it. I never thought about it until was, God was revealing, showing me some of this. He gave that even to the angels because Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covered. He was in the very presence, in the very throne room of God. I believe he knew all the blueprints. I believe he knew all the plans of God. But one day he decided as his heart got lifted up, he made these words. I'm going to do what I want now. And I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. And I will arise to hear. And Lucifer operated in the free will. That's why in the book of John, when those disciples or when those followers were combating him, he said, you are of your father, the devil. Because he said, you're acting out of your will just like he is instead of out of my plan. Boy, think about that. 
And a third of the angels, the Bible said his tail were drawn. You mean he forced them? No, I don't believe. After reading that, understanding that, I don't believe he forced any of them. But they gave up their will to be servants to the Most High and to you and I to be fallen angels that are destined for hell, for darkness, for out throughout the ages and never have the right to fulfill what they were created for. They gave it up. Well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He convinced you and you used your free will. I'm free. You better be careful how you're operating. Because sometimes he'll put somebody around you that will convince you, that will entice you, that will allure you, that will pull you. Because the only thing that he can do is pervert. That's why free, that's why freedom becomes perverted. Because it doesn't have the purpose of God in it. If it doesn't have the purpose of God in it, then what is it? It is the freedom of our flesh demanding this is how I want to live. And what you're saying is, I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. And we've got a screaming nation. Paul said it would be like this in the last days. That men would be lovers of themselves and not of God. So God placed him there. He said, you can have all all of this. Adam was given that free will. I could fast forward into Genesis chapter 18. God said to Abram, I'm going to make you because I want you to see that real freedom is a lifestyle lived under the hand of God. Adam had, or God called Abram to get up and get away from his father's house into a land that he said, I'm going to show you. And he made a promise there. I love that song. He won't fail. I love that song. Thank you for doing that this morning. He brought him to that place and he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Your seed is going to be as the stars of the heaven. You're going to be a blessing. And through you, listen to what he's saying. Through you, generations are going to be blessed. Let me say something to everyone in this room. If you think life is just about you, you are so absolutely foolish and you are fooled by the spirit of this world. God is a generational God. What I do doesn't just affect me and my wife and my kids. It affects my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren that are yet to come and generations to come. It affects everyone here under the sound of my voice. I'm going to bless you, Abram. Time passes and no child. God said, I'm going to give you a child. And finally, Sarah comes and said, it's getting too late. I'm too old. This, I'm going to give you Hagar. And he went unto Hagar. And you know, he had a son by the name of Ishmael. But God still said, wait a minute. I made a promise. I have not failed my word and I'm not going to let you fail at it. And he causes Sarah to conceive and she brings forth a son. They call his name Isaac. God never in a sense, identified Ishmael as the promised son. He messed up. He had him. Thank God for grace. But the real test for Abram didn't come when Isaac was laying in the crib and he was goo-gooing and gaga and all the stuff that we do with babies. But the real test came. When he became a young man, 
I don't know exactly. I've heard different ages, but I'm just going to say maybe he was a young man about the age of 14 to 18 years old that God speaks to him and said, take your son and go offer him on the mountain. And he takes Isaac and he takes wood and he loads his people and they ride off to go to the place that's called where even now that place would be the place I've been told is where Jesus would give his life for the sins of the world. And there he built an altar and Isaac said, Father, we've got wood. We've got everything we need for worship. We just don't have a lamb. And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. But he tied him. He bound his own son, put him upon the wood. He was ready to drop the knife and God grabs his hand and he said, now I know. What was he doing? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow the pull of your flesh that's already been set in order? And he said, now I know. And this is one incredible passage in the book of Genesis chapter 18. Let me read this verse. Are you all right? Give me just a few moments. I'm going to land this jet. We're going to pray. Genesis chapter 18, I believe it is, verse 19. Let me find it. Oh, Lord, where is that? He said, now I know that you will not withhold your hand. And he said, because you've done this thing. Oh, here it is. Here it is. It's in Genesis 15. Got the wrong verse. He said, the Lord said, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Because God made a promise. He said, bring me. No, that's still not it. Oh, where is that verse? Where he said, because now blessing I will bless you. Please let me, let me read this verse. I can't find it, so we're going to have to go. He said, because you have done this thing, now I know that your heart is set for me. And your seed will now will contend with the enemy in the gates. Because you have done this and you have not withheld your hand. I, I was giving you a verse out of Genesis 18, 19. I'll read it. For I know him as God is coming to bring judgment upon Sodom. He stops by Abraham's house. He said, for I know him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abram what he has spoken to him. I know he will teach it. I know he will teach it, and it will fill the land. Blessing will fill the land because it is a lifestyle, not just something we do. Exodus chapter 3, you know the story. Israel is in bondage, or I should say you know the story. Maybe some don't. Israel has gone into bondage for 400 years, and in Exodus chapter 3, God visits Moses, speaks to him out of burning bush, and he said, I've heard the cry and the bondage of my people. That is not my plan. That is not my will. It has never been intended for my people to live in slavery. It's never been in my will for my people to eat onions and leeks. You may like them, but that's not his plan. Liver was never on God's order. Never. But then he said, Moses... 
I want you to go command Pharaoh to let them go and tell the people that I'm bringing them out. So if he brings you out, he's not bringing you out for you to scratch around and try to find your way. But I'm bringing them out and I'm going to lead them to a land that flows with milk and with honey. He said it's a land that is good and it's a land that is large and it's a land that is overflowing. It's a lifestyle. I could keep pushing and pushing and showing you, but I want you to understand we're missing freedom if all we're looking at is my right to be whatever I want, to do whatever I feel, to say whatever I think I ought to say, to act any way I want to act. But it's a lifestyle that's created by the hand and the sovereignty of God. Worship team, make your way on back. Thank you, I appreciate that. But I want to take you in to where our nation is. Because I think even as a nation, we forgot what our framers, what our forefathers came for. No longer do we really teach history as the way history was in the years that you were there. Moms and dads, I know you've heard it, and I know I'm preaching at the choir or to the choir. But the enemy's got a strategy that if I can take your history, you really won't know who you are. That's why when you go and find through the book of Daniel, When they were taken captive, they were taken away. They were taken away from their families. They were moved out of their history. Not only were they taken out, this is the strategy of the enemy. It's working today. They changed their identity. Your name is no longer Daniel. You're no longer this one or you're no longer that one. They begin to change their identity. What in the world is happening? To our land. The same thing is happening now. We're going to feed you with a different diet. We're going to feed you from the king's table. We're going to feed you with with all the woke doctrine and all the woke idea. and We're going to feed you because if we feed you long enough, the same becomes you are what you eat. See, it's the strategy of the enemy. So if they can remove our history, but pastor, you don't don't realize it was bad. You have to realize in the middle of our history, it spoke who we were as a nation, but it also spoke about our victories. Yes, it revealed some of our weaknesses, but it told us where we don't want to go back. So if I get rid of, if I get rid of all the statues... I get rid of all of these things. I'll change the name of the baseball teams because, Lord forbid, we don't want to offend anybody with red skin. Well, you're offending me because I'm red-skinned. I had a kid years ago. I used I dealt with, please, I'm not trying to make a joke or anything, but we just got weird. I struggled with uh, rosacea for years, and I still get very red my 
it's something from the blood vessels and all this. And I had a kid walk up to me one day. He offended me. What's wrong with your face? He doesn't even exist no more. No, just kidding. I'm saying to us, it sounds so simple. And we, the church, have gone to sleep. We Americans have settled in. And we thought it's too late. We can't buy into this. We, we, we can't change it. So we might as well make the best of it. But it's not the way that... Remember what this represented. This thing stood through battle. It stood through war. It says we're a people that persevere under every situation. And it declares that nothing will overtake us. In June of 1776, the Continental Congress formed a committee as our fathers came to this land for a purpose. See, we think, we talk it like this, they came to be free. But free from what? They come to get free from the hold that England had put on them. The religious order of the state that demanded this. But not only was it to be free to worship, it was free to live. The people were being taxed beyond measure. Even here, they weren't able to get free. I'm away, but I'm still in the middle of this. I've got to break free. And we've got to establish what freedom is. Again, I'm not a fetterer, so go read. Maybe I'll stir you something up in my mess up for you to go read and find out the truth. But it said the Continental Congress formed a committee led by Thomas Jefferson to write the Declaration of Independence. And the full Congress accepted the document and proclaimed to the colonies free from British rule. And in that very beginning statement, this is what they said. We hold all of these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was their heart. We want to live that all men can have That we can live the life with our families. We can own property. We can build houses. We can make a good living. But we've bought into a socialistic government in our present culture. And we have chosen to let the government take care of us. And God said, go read through the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7 when the people said, we want to be like the nations of the earth. Young people, please hear me. You may not like politics, but you better pay attention to it because it's about you and your children. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 or chapter 8, I believe it is, they said, because the church wasn't acting right, make us a king. We want to be like everybody else. They were never without government. 
They just wanted to be like the world. And God said, all right, Samuel, I'll give them what they want. If you don't think God won't give us what we want, when we want it, you're mistaken. He said, but go tell them first, this is what's going to happen. First thing he said, I'm going to take your children. They're going to become my servants and my slaves. I'm going to take your land. I'm going to take your goods. Go read it. It's in the Bible. I'm going to take your worship. I'm going to take you all the liberties that you've had to be free and been able to enjoy. He's going to take them. And we, the culture, have decided we're going to let the government, we're going to let socialism, we're going to let it overtake us. Do you realize that there are countries in the world right now that's under the rule of socialism? You want to know how much they make in a week's time? Some of them are making an average of only $3 and something cents a week to get by on. A few years ago, me and Charlie got to be in, in Africa in a place, and I know I've got students here from, from that very country. But we went to a very successful businessman that was building houses and nice homes in the place that we went. But you couldn't believe the tools. You couldn't believe what they were using to get, done, get it done with because the wheelbarrows that they were trying to pack gravel in to move it around was absolutely wore out. Am I not telling the truth? People sitting on the streets trying to sell their goods in a country that says we will take care of you. And we're buying into that. If we don't wake up, we're going to lose the privilege of God. So remember, the land that I've got for you is good. It's large. It's overflowing. They realized in that day, following the signing of the Declaration of Independence, members of the Continental Congress, in order to form a measure of centralized government adopted the Article of Confederation. And these went into effect in 1781. I hope I've got everything in order right. If I haven't, please forgive me. Yet as good as they were, there was weakness. So they got delegates from each state. They came together. And in 1787, in order to improve upon the Articles of Confederation, they formed and signed into effect as law our Constitution of the United States of America. It's made up of a preamble which declares its purpose. Seven articles and the amendments which would give assurance to the purpose for each citizen to be able to enjoy the life that they were declaring and it would be carried out. And that would say something like this. We the people of the United States of America in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, provide for the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution 
for, of the United States. They set that for us. They set that for us <coughs> to assure us freedom isn't just to do without any measure of government, but we are the government. And you and I, this is where we need to go because we've lost our history. We've quit teaching civics that tells us how things ought to be run, how government ought to act, and we decided we would go with ethics of how people ought to behave. And you really can't go with one without the other. Because if men's hearts are wicked, they're not going to treat you right. Come on. I'm going to share with you again in the amendment. We have the right to bear arms. It's not a gun. That is the problem. It's an inanimate object made by the hands of men and it is nothing but a piece of metal as long as it's laying on a counter or locked up in a box but put it into the hands of an unrighteous, ungodly man with a bad heart, it becomes a weapon. So does your automobile. So does your rat poison. So does your fire. So does this. So does that. We could count it all. But he said, why did he have that? So that you and I, if something crazy went on in our land, we could defend our rights. We could defend our property. We could defend our families. Because men's hearts are evil. But this nation was established by our fathers. I... I hope I got this message over right this morning. This flag, when you wear it, you're celebrating Tuesday. Don't forget what this thing is about. The fireworks are the least. But it's about the victories that was won so that you and I could live a life that is full of peace. Matter of fact, God said it like this in 1 Timothy Chapter 2, we're to pray for all that are in authority. Listen to these words. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable.